0: Welcome to Talking Foosball, the Windows League show. Your source for all things German football. You know, I'm Matt Herman. I'm your host this week, and we are truly... In a happy place. Not only are we digesting that tasty, tasty helping of Bundesliga we just got this weekend, but we're also looking forward to another tempting course. We've got uh, the knockout stage of the Champions League, which starts this week. And appropriately enough, I am joined by a man whose mouth is probably watering, particularly heavy. He's got, you know, a real investment in the Champions League. He is the host of the Yellow Wall podcast himself, Stefan Butchko. Hello, it's great to have you back. Thanks for having me. Hello. Matt, how are you doing? I'm well, I'm well. Are, are you excited for the Champions League this week? Sort of, but cautiously. Okay, okay. <laughs> maybe Maybe it's just my,
1: my, my, my neutral perspective on things, but man. I'm, I'm excited about the Champions League in general. Am I excited about PSG and the uh, the uh, haunting uh, Mbappé and Neymar running at Dortmund's backline? i <laughs> <laughs> maybe not <laughs> let's leave the haunting until after the fact but man yes
0: knockout knockout Ugh. stage i'm 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 already i'm already like nervous it's it's not good it's not good. <laughs> well maybe maybe i should stop saying knockout stage just to 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 take out a little bit of the risk here because uh, knocked out is maybe what you're going to be in a couple of weeks. Let's just uh, move on. We're going to be talking this week not only, as I said, about um, the, the Champions League last 16, but about Match Day 22 in the Bundesliga, as well as, yeah, the big saga that hit the Bundesliga over the past week, which maybe is over, maybe is just beginning. The Troubles at Hertha BSC. Don't go away. Okay, here comes part one of Talking Foosball. I'm your host, Matt Herman. I'm here with Stefan Butzko. We're going to be talking about the best of the match day that's just passed, as we do each week on this podcast. It was match day 22. And, you know, because it it really does pertain to the the, the fates of some of the big teams in the Bundesliga, we're going to talk about... uh, mine's against Schalke, let's go! Yes, yes. (laughs) So, well, you you wait for the second half of the podcast, (laughs) if you want to hear about that one. Pretty 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 much the third half, if it were up to me. Exactly. Exactly. Well, it's it's so deep in the second half, it's going to feel like the third half. First things first, before we talk about Champions League, let's talk about uh, Dortmund. And their very large win on Friday night, at least briefly anyway. It was a 4-0 result against a Frankfurt team that ought to put some wind in their sails ahead of that big European night. Uh, the goals were really spread around in this one. You had uh, Lukasz Piszczek, uh Jaden Sancho, Erling Haaland, and Rafael Guerrero all getting on the scoreboard. How, how pleased were you by this result, considering the last week uh, going into this game with, you know, DFB-Pokal elimination, a pretty pretty stinging loss, late loss to Leverkusen? This is a quality
1: win. Yes, it is. I mean, the the problem for a Dortmund fan's perspective, you basically get a little bit more annoyed and frustrated after such a defensive performance that they can't pull it out of the back every week. And uh, I'm, I'm also going to record the Yellow Wallpot later today and the big question really will be was Dortmund this good or was Frankfurt so bad the the thing is Frankfurt did a couple of things that play in into Dortmund's hands because they never really pressed them high and Frankfurt um had a couple of very um, good moments in the uh, in in the central midfield where they could have basically played into transition or played forward and it sort of just uh, um yeah, couldn't up their own tempo and they couldn't find the runs of Chandler or Kostic or whatever. And Dortmund were just very passive, uh, in, in their formation and very, um, drawn back. I would say Dortmund, if they become passive, usually they play in a three four three system, but, uh, that sort of is like a five one almost. And that makes the, um, uh, makes Dortmund a very wide defensive side and it's very hard for uh, Frankfurt's main weapon which is Kostic to unfold and uh, that way Dortmund sort of stifled Frankfurt in, in many ways and uh, yeah Frankfurt just played a lot of stupid passes right into the spaces where Dortmund had a, had a lot of crowds and uh, yeah that way it was a defensive performance for Dortmund which I don't think we've seen in the better way. I think one of the big positives for Dortmund was Emre Can, who uh, had, I think he was leading the team in tackles with six and had three interceptions, which was the second most for Dortmund. Only Rafael Guerrero had more. Mm -hmm. And uh, considering Can only played... 64 minutes, it was very positive um, and he was praised a lot by Lucie Favre after the game for his tackling and especially for his communication on the field. And I think this is uh, someone uh, that was lacking for Dortmund in in midfield a lot. So um, he is a player that very quickly shows that A, he has a lot of hustle and fight in him, but he's doing it very efficiently um so he's not just a headless chicken running around like a lot of other Dortmund players, but he is uh he just knows where to be, how to stop other players and 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 to just suffocate fires before they really uh spread around. And uh it's it's good to see that in the absence of uh Julian Brandt Dortmund have a capable central midfielder who has different strengths, so it wasn't like a Big attacking performance by Dortmund, but I also don't think it, it was needed. And given that they still won for nothing, yep, tells you um, that Dortmund don't necessarily have to um, uh, go out all guns blazing. And uh, I think what's what's more frightening uh, for Frankfurt is is how how pathetic their attacking output in the end was. Because um, I don't know if you know this, but Frankfurt had only one shot. That was in the 26th (laughs) minute by Chanta from 26 yards out. Yeah. And uh, the expected goal for that... (laughs) Oh, I'm glad you're getting to this. (laughs) 0.03 or 0.01, depending on on with which uh, step provider you're checking in. And they had zero shots on goal. And uh, overall, Frankfurt only had five touches in Dortmund's penalty area. So, um, yeah, that was just um, for Dortmund. From a Dortmund's perspective, that was awesome because when do you ever limit a team to zero shots on goal but uh, from a frankfurt perspective given that they have by bayern this season five to one and given that um, that they beat leipzig twice in a row not so long ago um that was very surprising to see um especially because um the route against augsburg was also on a friday so they had a whole week to prepare for this game and uh, yeah it was a very meager output. Uh, it's also funny that Adi Hutter was linked with the Dortmund job just before the game started basically there were headlines popping up and with that performance, I think uh, you sort of withdraw your resume yeah i, I, I appreciate uh you putting that into context. I also appreciate you
0: bringing up the uh, the microscopic uh expected goals total <laughs> That's, that, that was that was a place I was definitely gonna go if you hadn't um briefly i j- i just wanna I really want to pat you on the back right now. Uh, because you're one of the only people I know, uh, other than myself, of course, uh, that Emre John's name is pronounced John and not Can. Uh, if you live in Germany long enough, as I did, you will get the opportunity to learn how to pronounce uh, Turkish names, and you will learn that if there is a circumflex under the sea, uh, you pronounce it like a ch and if there isn't you pronounce it like a
1: j uh so yeah Or guy's you names... listen to one interview where they literally ask him how it's pronounced exactly. and Norbert Dicker, the the steady announcer did that and then still continued to pronounce it wrong so kudos to him well, for geez. that ignorance but yeah <laughs> well, it's john if
0: you want to if you want to give uh, norbert Dickel kudos for ignorance uh he, he would be <laughs> swimming in, a, in an ocean of of kudos uh, and you know maybe maybe he drowned that way maybe it'd be better for
1: everyone i i, I don't think that metaphor uh, is, is is getting anywhere so let's just continue <laughs> move on you don't like the ocean of kudos i don't know if you're old no, enough and you're know. american
0: there there used to be a product called kudos that was a brand of granola bars that were very much like uh chocolate bars they were very sweet and and and, and sort of rich i don't think they make them anymore but it's it's a really gross yeah it's american <laughs> chocolate it's not a sustainable product <laughs> it's a gross thought a, a sea of kudos lucy and favre uh you know we've we've sort of just mentioned the fact that he was a bit on the rocks after that bad week. And you know, he's been on and off the rocks for a long time, especially after some pretty shaky defensive performances uh, in in some big games over the over the months. You know, he has been tinkering at the back and and, you know, emery john is is probably going to uh, make a lot of things in the defense look a lot better as, as time goes forward. But he did do something a little different. I mean, he's, he's worked with uh, back threes at times this season, uh, at times also gone back to back fours. But this particular version with a back three with Lukasz Piszczek in as a center back with Hakimi and Guerrero as those uh, wing backs. And you know those guys as, as quick and as, as sort of, you know, proficient in the attack um, as they are. They can cover a lot of ground and bring you a lot of attacking force on the wings. I mean, do you think he might have hit upon something with this, that this could be, you know, a really good setup going forward. You mean the back three in general, or just particular setup? Uh, well, not only the back three in general, uh, but also using um, Hakimi and Guerrero as as wing backs and trusting them to do a job as as two way players. Or is that just too too dangerous in some games?
1: Well, yes, it definitely is. Um, Dortmund have been severely punished for that particular setup, but um, I still think it's their best option because um, Dortmund build a lot. Over their uh, wing backs, especially Guerrero is someone who often dribbles toward the inside. Um, because when uh, he was first, I don't want to say discovered, but uh, Thomas Tochel integrated him into uh, the Dortmund system way back when uh, as a number eight, sort of as a half space midfielder. I would call him that. Mm-hmm. So I'm um, having him in a in a position that's adjacent to it. Is very effective, and uh, that way he is right now, um, yeah, really turning it up. And obviously, he's he's on the score sheet. And if you are counter pressing in the center of the opponent's box and are there to gain an interception and then to fire at home, that uh, <laughs> tells you a lot about uh, where your positioning priorities are as a wing back. Um, so, yeah, that quick trigger on yes. that fourth goal was oh, oh, lethal. It was Cobra like. Yes it it was it was very good and it's it also was something that Dortmund managed against Union Berlin so not too long ago where um they also had a counter pressing right at the box with Guerrero in the, in the middle and then i think he played a pass to Sancho who then fired it home but um, yeah, it's. Um, let, let me put it this way. this um, The Dortmund season began against Cologne and Union Berlin on match day two and, and three with severe problems in builder play because Dortmund was still applying a back four, and you had Schulz and Piszczek as your um, right backs and left backs, basically. And uh, what opponents did often was used two strikers to press both Dortmund center backs and then uh yeah, their midfielders to isolate the uh, the full backs and the uh, added effect was that the um, central midfielders from Dortmund were in the cover shadows of the two strikers and Dortmund had zero idea how to play around that and uh, it only really started to get better as when like it was relevatory almost when uh, five was switched to a back 3 and that happened Uh, Coincidentally, against your Hertha Berlin, Mm -hmm. uh, a a game which uh, in the end was very messy for Dortmund. But um, the start was very good because um, if you have three um, players in your back three, um, the the builder play is just so different and uh, caters to Dortmund's strengths a lot. If you put on Zagadou, who had another stellar performance against Frankfurt and um, he's just a centre-back who who is just as calm as a cucumber, and if you pressure him from the from the left, he'll just uh, pass you on the one side, and if you pressure him from the other side, he he just pass you again. Um th- There's just nothing you know that that phases him if you just pressure him with one player, and that either opens up space for him because he can dribble forward, or uh, you have uh, an open Mats Hummels who then can wreak havoc. So um Favre really managed to highlight a lot of Dortmund's strengths. Um, their defensive woes, however, aren't completely, um, uh, yeah, killed. Even against Frankfurt, there, there was a moment where Guerrero completely lost Chandler and Chandler was wide open on the right side. Um, Frankfurt couldn't uh, finish their counterattack or their attack and, and didn't bring the pass over. But, um, you can see that there are still a lot of defensive errors and Axel Witzel momentarily, um, is just, uh, overplayed. And that means he gets lost in no man's land when he wants to counter-press. So that means he uh, doesn't arrive uh, quick enough for his opponent to to close him down and then leaves the space open him without putting pressure on the opponent. And I, mm. I worry that this uh, might be punished by PSG, something that uh, Frankfurt could not take particular advantage of. Indeed, indeed. And why don't we actually turn our attention a little bit towards
0: that um, PSG match, which is coming up on Tuesday. Uh, it is a home match. It's, you know... Could be a chance for Dortmund to, uh, you know, get get a few goals on the board. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But it doesn't sound like you're really feeling that great uh, going into this first leg.
1: Well, the problem is Dortmund do have a lot of defensive issues still, if you pressure them, Um, just because this one game against Frankfurt looked, uh, you know, devastatingly amazing. (laughs) Um, That doesn't mean uh, PSG will be a similar match, um, especially because of uh, PSG's particular strength of having a lot of speed um and we all know that neither Zagadun nor Hummels uh, are very fast or actually they are fast they just don't accelerate well and that's sort of uh, what kills them uh so I for I foresee a shootout over several matches to be honest um that being said sometimes Dortmund magically pulls something out of the bag um they did that, for example, against Barcelona in the group stages where you ended up with a scoreless draw, which Dortmund really should have won at mm. least by two or three goals. But yeah, um, yeah uh, it's 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 going to be very difficult because um, I know how Thomas Tochel likes to play and Dortmund um, with Lucien Favre on the sideline are very passive when the opponent dominates possession and uh, they sort of just uh, move further and further into their own own box and around their own box, and that's where Dortmund's weaknesses really start. As soon as as you have them in or around their own penalty area, then they don't really know how to how to defend, how to stay with their man, and they are start they start to ball watch, and that's very uncomfortable. And Thomas Tuchel's positional play and his team Suji know how to just play the ball around and and can be very patient themselves in possession. That's just something that's uh, that that kills the Favre side. So, um, you know, just looking at the game and the matchup on paper and the potential for uh, Dortmund's weaknesses and and how PSG could uh, take advantage of it's basically the the two two biggest weaknesses, Dortmund being either hit on a transition or uh, a very meticulous possession team, which they don't face that that often, but uh, when they do, it's Bayern Munich usually. Um, And that doesn't often go so well. So, yeah, my... My, my hopes aren't all that high for Dortmund in, in this particular matchup, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, are, are you heartened or, or, you know, have basically very little feelings about the fact that uh, Peixier, you know, went down 3-0 early and had to really scrape their way back to, to get a 4-4 no. draw at Amiens? I mean, that, that was another game with where they got most of the possession themselves, but still managed to get themselves
1: into trouble. I, I mean, yes, this is maybe uh, one thing I didn't mention. Uh, I would say that PSG's own defense is maybe as great. So obviously there are chances for Dortmund to score and maybe even win the game. But the problem is Dortmund needs a, a, a margin and uh, best a clean sheet or just concede one or, or yeah two by, by the maximum. But uh, it, it could be like a four to three or so in the end. And uh, yeah, so... Obviously, there are a lot of chances for Dortmund to, to win this game and to, to really hurt PSG um, because Dortmund, of course, have a lot of speed themselves. But what really hurts Dortmund right now is that they will be without Marco Reus and without Julian Brandt. And these are two key players, especially Julian Brandt has been a difference maker for them in midfield. Um, you've seen it against Leverkusen. The entire match plan was designed to find Julian Brandt in a in dangerous spaces and then uh, he had to be subbed off at halftime and uh, Dortmund's attacking plan w- just went out the, the window basically so um yeah Dortmund can readjust with Emre Can uh, in in midfield you have a bit more protection I think that helps you a lot in the Champions League but uh, that all being said it's it's going to be very very difficult um but I'm looking forward to see how mature Dortmund really is so that's uh that's a something that I always look forward to because over the years that has improved mightily and uh, sometimes can just surprise me in the Champions League because we don't always see it in the Bundesliga necessarily. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, you already brought up your old pal, Tommy Tuchel, <laughs> you know, there's been a period of transition, of course, since he left and it's been pretty bumpy. I mean, you you had, you had the, the two Peters, Bosch and uh, Stöger. You've had, uh, you know, a good season and a half of, of Lucien Favre, Um at the moment Bay are are firing at the attacking end and maybe getting a little bit less susceptible to you know defensive blackouts thinking back to the best of the the Tuchel sides at at Bay a couple of years ago how do you feel that this present group sort of compares are are you still in some ways a little hmm, wistful or do you actually like where this this new version is going
1: Well, I felt with Thomas Tuchel, Dortmund had a general idea where their overall philosophy was going. Um, They were transitioning out of the Jurgen Klopp transition football years and wanted to uh, play a more mature possession football style. And I think Thomas Tuchel provided that quite adeptly. Um right now, as you just mentioned, the, the transitions that Dortmund went through, I didn't really have a feeling that Dortmund uh, really had a plan. And uh, I feel that the uh, end of the road for Lucien Favre is in sight. I would uh, not betting anything on him staying beyond this season. Um, and I, I'm not quite sure what the general um, approach is. Um so in in that regard I'm I'm wistful but um if you look at the squad itself that Dortmund have right now and the talent available I would actually say that it's better whatever uh than than whatever Thomas Tuchel had at his disposal so it's a bit sad that Dortmund are uh, blowing it a little bit uh, on their defensive end because on paper they have a lot of good defenders it's just collectively um not very good so that's um something I think where where Dortmund fans will have a little remorse that so with this sort of team you're not further up in the table Yep. but uh other than that yeah I I think as a Dortmund fan you can just really enjoy yourself even uh, if if not all results go your way but at least it's entertaining as heck and uh, you will always see beautiful football and a lot of combinations and right now I think one of the hottest talents in Europe or the hottest talent with Jadon Sancho so that's a lot of fun as well and uh, I'm just enjoying every minute uh, of him being in the yellow shirt because we don't know how long that will go on.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 assuming uh, the the end of next season at the at the at the latest. He'll be.
1: I don't know. I, I can see him staying another season. To be honest,
0: like I. Oh I, yeah, I think I he'll be there one more year after this year. I, I do. Yeah, but only one. <laughs> All right. Yeah, but
1: that's already a lot.
0: I feel you. No, know, I, I think, and and put it this way. Um, and this, I'll fold this into a, a listener question from uh, Steve in Missouri. He asked, "What does Dortmund need to do and have happen to win the league?" And I want to actually expand that not only to this season. But um, potentially to next season, you know, assuming
1: our, our friends Erling and Jaden stick around. Well, I think they can even win the league without Jaden Sancho next season. All they need to do is defend better. Sure, <laughs> this is really where it comes down to. Um, they they need to really limit the flood of goals, especially on the road, um, because the Westfalenstadion has been a fortress for them. They uh, have not lost a home match yet in the Bundesliga, so it really comes down to. Um, forming a team that has the mentality to defend and, and hustle really because that's the biggest problem I think um, you know for a long time people always said oh the arrogant Bayern Munich but um, that was maybe five or ten years ago I feel like uh, if there's an arrogant team out there it's actually Dortmund right now if they go on the road um, sometimes or as we saw against Werder Bremen in the DFB Pokal, they just uh, don't do the, uh, the the basic virtues that you need: the the fight um, and closing down opponents here and there. Um, you know, just very simple stuff, really, that just isn't happening. So that's that's what they need to do. Michael Zorc needs to build a team of characters um, that are willing to practice protect the goal no matter what um I think we all saw it quite well in the uh, matchup between Leipzig and Bayern not because it's it and it's scoreless um there were certainly chances there for for goals but um mistakes were made in this game but there was always the next player up who was trying to track back and and uh, anticipate an error of your teammate and uh, defend better and both these teams right now are doing a much better job in uh, protecting their own goal and uh yeah just athletically hustling for for these things, so yeah that's what Dortmund really need to do because um if you look at the at the squad and the uh, talent and skill you have and the technical ability, um, there's not really a doubt about their uh, attacking potential. It's just defensively they need to get their stuff together. Agreed. Let's
0: leave uh, Dortmund behind. And, you know, we've we've given Dortmund quite a bit of time, but that, that's what I get for having the uh, the host of the Yellow Wall podcast on my podcast. I hope that was the plan, otherwise. <laughs> it, it was totally the plan. It was absolutely the plan. I think most, many more listeners are, are, are interested in Dortmund's match against PSG than, uh, you know, Leipzig and their exploits in the Champions League. Although we will be... You know, looking at those in a moment. But before we do, I just want to give a quick, quick glance at what's happening with Frankfurt. They are, of course, back in the Europa League knockout stages. They, you know, sailed through the, the group stage. They went to the, the, the semis of this competition last season. And lo and behold, in this round of 32, they draw one of the stronger possibilities they could have, which is to say uh, RB Salzburg, who uh, you know, are, are, are Champions League dropouts, but um, are pretty seasoned Europa League uh, performers. They went to the, the semifinals two seasons ago. Uh, and and you know, Jesse Marsh and, and the boys are a little tough, Perhaps for this round of the Europa League, do you think it's a bit of a shame that this this matchup is happening as soon as it is, or are you just pleased that it's uh, there's some storylines there as opposed to, you know, them them playing a a rando in the Europa League of which you know
1: there's a lot of randos in that competition. I mean, Frankfurt already expertly handled one Red Bull team, <laughs> so <laughs> um, and 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 uh, Salzburg will be without Haaland, uh, so that's. Uh, that's the problem. And Salzburg just, uh, lost the lead in the, uh, Austrian Bundesliga. So, um, I think greetings to the other Bundesliga podcast. Greetings. Um, they now, they now have Lask as number one. So that's exciting for them to not always have this, this one team running away with it. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, to truth be told, Eintracht Frankfurt have been my happy place when it comes to European matches where I'm not emotionally invested in but just want to enjoy myself and just a feel-good story because Eintracht Frankfurt in general have done a lot of things right in the last years um, on the pitch and off the pitch. Taking a stand against the AfD in Germany, for example, against that uh, right-wing party, um, for example, has been very positive for me. It's uh, something... That is absolutely crucial for society at large. And we see it in, in America right now, where we both reside. What can happen to a country when a far right party takes over and, and takes a hold of a country? It gets very divided. So, um, it's important that clubs like Frankfurt that have, that are very rooted in, in German society or, or Dortmund also do that quite amazingly, um, that they take stance uh, against these kind of tendencies so, um yeah, i'm I'm all for that. and so I'm happy to watch Frankfurt in the EuroLeague. and uh, I wouldn't make too much out of that fun a loss against Dortmund. I feel like there was sort of a sort of a yeah outlier for them, and uh, I think they have very good chances to go through against Salzburg, yep, okay. Well,
0: I, I certainly wish that for them. They, are they're, they're, they're run to the semis. I last mean, they've years. got an
1: Austrian coach.
0: Adi Hutter should, <laughs> should know that's book, right? Exactly. He's he's coached them before. You know, he he knows the playbook. He's he's looked. He's thumbed through the that, he, that book. He he wrote the damn
1: bill. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, I don't know. I, I think there might be some dispute over
1: over who who wrote what in that uh, that particular slam book. Pro- probably. That side side note. Um. As a Dortmund uh, supporter, fan, whatever, or observer, I, I would like Jesse Marsh actually as a, a successor of uh, Lucien Favre because I like his brand of football and I could see that uh, very much established at Dortmund.
0: Come on, pal. There's another team that's going to be shopping for a coach this summer, okay? Just don't get ahead of yourself. Let him put, <laughs> him put in two or three seasons at Hertha up first, okay? Uh <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, let, let's move on to the other side of the RB axis in, in uh, Central Europe. That is uh, Rassenbachsport Leipzig. Uh, they are also in Champions League action on Wednesday. They're traveling to uh, Tottenham Hotspur in their first leg of the last 16. Uh, but this, uh, this weekend they had, a, a, you know, a task quote-unquote, task <laughs> uh, to take on the team that's probably in the worst form in the league, in in the Bundesliga. That's Werder Bremen. Uh, yeah, they in the did league, that Northern with Cup. aplomb. <laughs> oh my god, no. And that, and that what a shocking result that was. Yeah, but Leipzig got the job done. It was a 3-0 win. It was really never in doubt that it was going to go any other way. You know, you mentioned that uh, 0.03 uh, expected goals and how shameful that was from uh, Frankfurt. Um <laughs> You know, Verde Bremen's was 10 times as good. 0.3? It was uh, <laughs> oh, 0.3 wow. XG, which uh, still still doesn't get you anywhere near a goal. Well, actually, um, it does.
1: <laughs> if you have just one shot of a 0.3 value, you actually tend to score. So, um, yeah. <laughs> but the problem is Werder Bremen had eight shots. Um, I'm not a mathematician, but uh, that doesn't bode too well. And... Uh, Unlike Frankfurt, Werder Bremen actually had one shot on target, so good for them, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was not enough. Um, before we start talking mostly about Leipzig, let's briefly uh, get to a listener question from Tomas Klebo in Norway, uh, who simply asks, is Florian Kofelt still the right man for Werder? Uh, he, he likes that the club still have faith in him, but they look headed for the Zweite Bundesliga. It is a difficult question, I, to be honest. To me, the proof is in the pudding. Uh, and, and no they the, the downward spiral is is not turning around and the cup win didn't seem to do much for them this was no. wretched i i can't imagine that he'll last through the end of the season
1: well the problem is um if you switch the coach does that fix the problems that Bremen have it might so i would do it if i were Bremen. maybe not this week because they play dortmund next and uh um, playing against the side that just switched their coach is uh, is never a good thing. So um from from that perspective I hope they, they hang on to him for a little more uh longer. But the problem is Werder Bremen are absolutely dreadful when it comes to set piece defending and I think they've eaten two goals from, from corner kicks against Leipzig. Yeah. So that's that's a big problem. But the other problem really is for, for Bremen is um they play nice possession football here and there. They have good Stints in possession, but the problem is really um, getting into the box and 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 doing anything with the ball, um, either in the box or just finding the last pass. I don't think they really have have a plan on on how to play it forward, really, and to find uh, ways to to penetrate the final third. Um, yes, they did a good well in the one game against Dortmund, where Dortmund really defended dreadful and uh, didn't do anything. But um, usually in the Bundesliga. Um you will have a lot of problems if you play the way Werder Bremen play with uh, not a lot of um yeah, creativity. Uh, <laughs> and the other problem really is um the uh, their defensive errors. And it's it's hard to grasp how how terrible they are, but it's just individual individual tactical errors um in a in a collective that you just cannot afford in a Bundesliga if uh three men that can mark a player, just none of them marks, you know, a run. You you, you tend to get a problem, especially against Leipzig. So, um, you know, there there are just a lot of easy errors in German. We would say Anfängerfehler, just rookie errors. That's yeah, beginners uh, mistakes. That, yeah, that that really kill them. Um, and it's completely inexplicable to me why they happen, how they happen. I guess it's it's more of a psychological component. So um, I would tend to answer the question with a yes. As in, uh, yes, you need to let go of Florian Kohfeldt and hope someone else can, can uh, fix the brains of the Bremen players because um, the mistakes they are making um, are on a zweite Bundesliga or dritte Liga level, really, to be honest. Um, that's not Bundesliga football at all. And it's it's also really interesting. Like, I don't really have an explanation for why Veljkovic or Vogt or Moisander or Klasen or Eggestein, who are all very capable Bundesliga players, and on paper this should be a team, I don't know, playing for the Europa League. Um, it's... it's I don't know, it's just completely beyond me to to grasp how they can get into this downward spiral but now they're there and uh, they need to do something about it because if Werder Bremen go down, um, they will have financial problems and uh, I don't know how quickly they can refurbish their their squad and get back up again. Um, We we see it, I think, with Stuttgart right now who are struggling to get back up. Um, So, yeah. It's it, it can be very difficult, so I'm really hoping for Werder Bremen's sake that they are not uh, following Haas Faus uh, <laughs> way down to the second division. Well, they they always want to go one better
0: than than Haas Fau. So you know, if if they go down, uh, maybe they'll stay down longer just to just to just to beat Haas Fau their own game. But
1: I mean, there, there there also has been another question. Maybe you have it in front of you. I don't know who asked it but I've seen whether there's any hope for the uh, bottom three right now. And uh, the, the problem is that Cologne and Mainz have a very solid foundation. Not everything is perfect for them, but they both have 22 and 23 points and Düsseldorf, Bremen and Paderborn are on 17 and 16 respectively. So in theory, it is possible but um, it's going to be very difficult because mines just like a little squirrel just get their points here and there, and uh, Bremen would need to go on a on a uh, run of sorts, maybe win two three games. And right now, I just don't see it. Um, that turnaround can always come, but um, I think it's it's going to be quite difficult for Bremen because the the problems they have are so foundational um, that you can't just uh, fix them. On 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 a short run, um, it it just tends to get worse and not better at, at this point of the season. To be honest,
0: yeah, I agree. I I kind of feel, and this is you know as you say. Keying on uh, our listener question from Andrew Varenkamp in uh, Indiana. I think that bottom three is probably the bottom three that we're going to stick with for the rest of the season.
1: You really have to hope to finish on 16th place and then win the relegation battle against mm-hmm. whoever will come up from the second division. Because I know Mainz is a team that can always completely drop off and lose their heads. But um, I don't know. They they, see, they they seem to get points here and there. I mean, they just got a point against Schalke. So there's that.
0: Yeah, and there's, you know, not only is there a five-point gap developing between 16th and 15th, but there's almost a 10-goal difference gap. I mean, you you look at those bottom three sides, and they're all 20 or more um, in in negative territory of goal difference. And I think that that's a little bit telling in that, um, you know, (laughs) Dusseldorf— They're just terrible at both ends. Paderborn are, are, you know, they can score, but they can't keep goals out. And Bremen are are almost as bad as as Düsseldorf in terms of, you know, low goal scoring and, you know, higher uh, goals let in. So I'm afraid that that's the way it's going to stay. I'm afraid we're going to be completely wrong as
1: always, but... uh... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hey why not you know it, it I mean I personally I'm always rooting for Werder Bremen because they're also a very uh sympathetic club that I just like to have in the Bundesliga and it yep. would be a shame to see them go down no, because no. I already I'm already very sad about HSV not keeping that that uh, forever Bundesliga record to be honest and they're obviously a team HSV that absolutely needs to be in the Bundesliga and uh should be maybe the number two in Germany if we go by uh potential of club and uh, city size so it's just absolutely mesmerizing how many bad decisions in a row and what kind of epic streak you need to go to ruin this club so yeah I hope they get back up at some point but the uh, whole storyline of oh they just need to go down and everything will fix itself well that hasn't really happened has it yeah yeah Let's get back to uh, RB Leipzig,
0: who, you know, there's not a lot of meat on the bone from this game in that it was, you know, a very good team beating a very bad team badly. The other half of Andrew Varenkamp's question was uh, referring to uh, RB's, um, whether they have enough in the tank to take the league uh, or whether this, you know, is going to be another season where, where everybody fades and, and Bayern just sort of stroll to the title in the end. Um want to adjust that quickly before we talk about their chances against Spurs in, in the Champions League
1: yeah well the, the problem is I'm not a team doctor so I'm not entirely sure about the fitness levels but uh, from the outside all I can say is this Leipzig have very deep squad and they can rotate a lot and Julian Nagelsmann so far has shown that he's capable of doing exactly that so chances are it's going to be Bayern who run out of steam because they have a very thin squad and right now if you look closely, you can see that Bayern play one good half and then they fade away. Um, against Cologne, they were lucky that they scored three in the first 12 minutes. But if you've seen the last, what was it, 20 minutes? Um, all you saw on Twitter was people praising Manuel Neuer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, against against Leipzig uh, in that particular game, they could have easily um, uh, lost this one too very late in the sta- at the stage. And in the DFB Pokal against Hoffenheim, I think it was a comfortable 3 nothing or 3-1 lead. And uh, in the end, it was a 4-3 win. But Hoffenheim came, came really, really close to coming back into this one. And uh, the likes of Müller and Lewandowski were already off the pitch. And uh, had Hoffenheim gotten, like, uh, I think converted their last chance and would have been 4-4 with overtime, Bayern would be actually out of the cup right now. So, um, to answer that question, from what I can see from the outside, it's probably likelier that, that Leipzig have the longer breath, <laughs> if that makes sense, than uh, Bayern. Yeah, yeah, and
0: considering Bayern um, probably fancy themselves, and I think many people um, fancy them, to be, to be honest, as more legitimate candidates to win the Champions League than, than the other two sides from, from the Bundesliga, they may well
1: put a bit more into that. I mean, if I were Bayern, the priority needs to be in the Champions League because you have won the Bundesliga now seven times in a row. And then it just gets <laughs> totally. stale and boring. And their o- overarching objective always has been winning the, the Champions League. Now, the problem is obviously that's uh, with Hansi Flick, you know, in, in, in recent for, for Bayern standards, there was just a lot of chaos and not a lot of consistency, uh, in, in, in key positions. So, um, that sort of took the focus away a little bit from the, uh mission champions league win, I feel like because you really need to have your entire club in that sweet spot to go that far. Um but uh, who knows, May- maybe they-, they can hack it. But um you know there are other strong sides in, in that Champions League right now still um that that will make that endeavor very difficult because I do think that Bayern produced too many individual errors to to um really uh, have a crack at the Champions League level. Um I just really do Benjamin Pavard, so um, there are just a couple of passes wayward um, that will get punished in the Champions League at the highest level, and Bayern can't cut that out. So um, if I were a Bayern fan, my hopes for the Henkelpot wouldn't be too high. Yep. That's uh, that's
0: more or less an answer for you, Anubhav uh, Bansal, in India. Uh, I would probably uh, tend to agree, uh, especially also, as you mentioned, the thin squad issue. I mean, Bayern are... Almost always, um, you know, one or two key injuries away from having. Uh, they, they, a lot they are of always
1: things. from one twisted Lewandowski an- ankle away from, from the entire season being over, practically. <laughs> Indeed. So you, you always need to keep this in the back of your mind. Luckily, he's an absolute machine and nothing can. <laughs> even even besmirch his uh, pristine body it appears but uh you never know he is not getting younger and uh you know there could be a torn Achilles from one day to the next or something like that and uh you know the entire Champions League ambition is is down the drain and then I don't know if they can salvage anything in the Bundesliga but uh, it's all hanging in there by a thread
0: okay um before we get, you know, completely off of, of, of the RB Leipzig tack, I mean, we're, we're still tangentially there talking about the title race, talking about Bayern's UCL chances, but you know what? Right. It, <laughs> it's, it's just the way it goes. They have uh, a trip to London to face uh, Tottenham Hotspur in that first leg. Um, how do you like their chances? I mean, Spurs, Spurs have been pretty pretty meh for a lot of parts of this season, but they obviously also have a a real... Champions League veteran uh coaching them at this point in, in Jose Mourinho. Is this um, does this make the tie a little juicier than, than it looked maybe when uh when the, 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 the balls were pulled out
1: of the hat? I guess. Uh but to be honest, the thing is Arby Leipzig have Julian Nagelsmann on the sideline and right now I have much more confidence in his in-game coaching even on a Champions League level than even the uh, veteran and I think three-times winner Jose Mourinho because um you know time just moves on and there's a new more modern coach on on the block and right now Julian Nagelsmann is getting a lot of things right um to be honest especially uh, when it comes to tactical switches within a game so um I I think Leipzig will surprise a lot of people. Um, so yeah, that's that's just uh, how how I view it right now. I think that uh, the uh, the Leipzig uh, team will really be uh, on the, on the Champions League level, especially with uh, players like Upamecano, who right now is just an absolute monster of a defender. It's just crazy how how amazing this guy is, and I think that uh, over. The two legs um, of the Champions League tie against Spurs, um, he will grab more international headlines right now. The rumor mill around him is still a bit on the on on the low, but uh, I I think we will hear much more about Upamecano being linked with the top teams in Europe uh, after the next Champions League games. Oh boy. Uh, that's something to look forward
0: to. Another set of uh, Open Makano to the Premier League rumors.
1: Not not really, but I'm just saying he he is he's in a world class form he right is, now, yeah. and he's still very young, and and we all know that he will uh, be one of the best defenders in the next five years or so. There's no doubt about it because uh, he has all the physical traits that you need as a center back, and he's smart as a whip his footballing intelligence is just so great how he anticipates it and he just runs everyone into the ground and uh, forcing him into an error does happen as it does with every centre-back, but you really need to pull a very good trick out of your bag, like uh, Julian Brandt did, for example, when he scored on, on Leipzig. Um So you need to really have something special to to master Upamecano and uh, I, I feel like Tottenham right now rely a lot on pace of Heumundson. And uh, that's I- exactly what you can rely on against Leipzig. You will need a little bit more. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think Leipzig will have good chances to go through uh, better chances than Dortmund have against PSG. Let's put it this way. Yep,
0: I totally agree. I, I When 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 uh, that tie was set up, I thought that uh, Leipzig would be, in some ways, that the happiest of the three uh, German sides in terms of the matchup. Uh, and I still feel really confident about them. I don't know how they're going to react to maybe the atmosphere of an away knockout tie. It'll be fine. On the first leg. I don't, that that. But I I I don't have much I don't have much uh, on the on the no side of the ledger.
1: They just they just went to Munich and went toe to toe with Bayern on a very high level. So I I I would assume that on the Champions League they can pull it off too. I mean, you never know what happens with these players when they hear the Champions League anthem. But uh, in general, I would uh, presume that uh, they, they, they should have what it takes.
0: Nice. All right. We'll leave it right there. We are going to come back uh, and, and discuss all of the controversies surrounding uh, the departure of one JK from Bay BSA. Don't go away.
1: Alright, welcome back. Now it's uh, my turn to host because it's Herta BSC out there and they're in a deep doo-doo right now and I personally have no idea because I have not been following it as closely as I may have should because uh, I've heard there was a lot of popcorn to consume during the uh, debacle crisis, whatever you want to call it, surrounding Jürgen Klinsmann's surprise exit. I think in Philadelphia or uh, in general, you call it the Irish exit if you just uh, leave a party out of the door, without out of the back door, without anyone realizing. And that's sort of what uh, Jürgen Klinsmann did. He surprised everyone from one day to another. He was just gone and only one person knew, which was the investor, but not the other people. So um, Matt, I think we haven't really discussed this on Talking Football yet so and, and since I've only observed it from the distance that information was basically foisted on me and I didn't really seek it out, um, I don't really know what happened. So I think this is a very good opportunity for you to A, explain what happened and B, maybe rant a little because I feel that's, that, that could be a very emotional subject. I feel like a couple of feelings were hurt in, in that particular uh, kerfuffle. Sure, sure.
0: Yeah, I, I was definitely seeking out all sources of information to uh figure out exactly what happened. Um to be honest, I can't say that I was um like sorely hurt uh in that um I was never completely sold on Jurgen Klinsmann as uh, as a as a coach, of course, not at all, and even as a as a sort of, you know, project manager. I was a lot more confident about his, you know, ability to, to marshal press towards Hertha or perhaps give them a, a little bit more ambition, which is something that's really been lacking from the club. But yeah, I was definitely blindsided by this, waking up um, on, on, on Tuesday morning last week and reading that Klinsmann had just thrown in the towel and had done it via a, a Facebook post, basically. <laughs> Which is, you know, as we learned later in the week, has not uh, earned him a lot of friends.
1: I wonder what I mean, kind of type of guy he is. Like, does he break up with his girlfriend <laughs> via text, via changing his Facebook status, or does he just ghost her?
0: Yeah, I mean, this is one of those things where it's like, you know, what is the maximum number of dates uh, or, or games and at which it's still you know allowable to break up via text. 0 is the correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's totally true. And and I think it, you know, hopefully Jurgen Klinsmann has learned that lesson although he doesn't seem like the lesson learning type. Um this really just seemed to be a hissy fit. And and this is kind of how I view what happened. Um Jurgen Klinsmann Obviously, he's sort of football man about town slash man about the globe. He's got a lot of friends. He makes it his business to sort of, um, you know, know a lot of people. And for whatever reason, he hooked up with um, Las Vintorst. Uh, I don't know exactly how these two guys got together, if it was one guy reaching out to the other or um, just th- they met under under what circumstances, I'm not sure. But it seems to me that Klintzmann viewed Las Vintorst as like his ticket to to a big a big deal, and like I don't blame him for that because I do feel that you know Hertha is a sleeping giant just like there's lots of sleeping giants in in Germany we've talked about a couple already on the podcast you know Stuttgart Hamburg and I mean Klinsmann thought he could bring the poker flute there you go there you go. He basically saw this guy who had a bunch of money who was ready to put into Hertha and was like, oh wow, this this is actually the most exciting football project in Europe. And, and from that perspective... <laughs> Sorry. No, seriously, from that perspective, there's nobody out there who is trying to pour money into a club and change it as radically, as quickly as this one. And, you know, maybe you find that ridiculous, but you can also find it exciting. But what I really think happened is that Klinsmann thought that Las Windhorst was basically just going to give him a blank check, that he was going to spend as much money as Klinsmann asked for, he was going to give as much power to Klinsmann as Klinsmann asked, and that the existing power structure of Hertha, which is to say, Michel Preetz, the sporting director, and Werner Gekinbauer, the chairman, were going to be completely marginalized. and, And, you know, Klinsmann was going to run roughshod over these people. You know, on one side of things, that doesn't sound all that unattractive in that Hertha has basically been puttering along at a pretty uninspiring level for a lot of years. And pretty much all of those years under, under Michel Breitz, things have been pretty, pretty meh, you know, sometimes they've gone down, sometimes they've stayed up. They have very rarely caused anybody any (laughs) real excitement other than me, of course. But, you know, Looking at a guy like Klinsmann coming in and bringing a lot of attention to the club and, you know, trying to attract big name players, it probably seemed to him like, oh, well, they're so lucky to have me. Of course, they're just going to sign me up for a new contract and give me a bunch of money. And it sounds like over the months that, um, you know, Windhorst and Klinsmann and Pretz and Gegenbauer all worked together – a very, very different um, <laughs> different sense of who was in charge of what and who was actually responsible and, and knew what they were doing began to coalesce. And, you know, when Michel Pretz and Werner Gegenbauer told Klinsmann, no, we don't want to give you a new contract and keep you on after the summer and make you in charge of everything, I think Klinsmann probably thought he could just go to Vintos and say, what are they doing? They're not giving me what I want. And that didn't work that didn't really um <laughs> that didn't really wash <laughs> and so Klinsmann just quit he took his ball and went home and it's really jarring to think that a person who operates in that particular way was ever as close as he was to having a lot of power over herta um and i'm really glad that he doesn't anymore i am still pretty worried about where the club is headed with all this money. I mean, as I said in previous podcasts, I think they've actually bought very well over the winter transfer window. I mean, the winter transfer window is generally where stupid clubs pay a lot of money. But for the most part, I think that the players they bought at the price points that they bought them um, are pretty sensible. I don't know exactly... Where things are headed uh, in terms of who's going to coach this team, because I sure as hell don't want it to be Alexander Nuri in the long term. But this has been an absolutely insane uh, week for for this club, and the fact that they were able to get a two one win, even if it is over the worst team in the league, away from home, is I feel pretty okay actually.
1: Yeah, so so would I. Uh, you know. Coming out of this week with a win is, uh, I, I guess, something uh, you can hang on. But um, really, the, the the question for me is um, how Klinsmann thought it was going to be a good idea to just announce it in a Facebook post and end it with how ho he euer Jürgen, like, <laughs> yours, Jürgen, which, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I just thought it was very, very weird um What I uh, then only know what happened but not the contents of it was um, a there was a Facebook live video like a QA and a video from Klinsmann in his I don't know office or living room or so and uh, then there was a press conference with uh, Windhorst and uh, other people from Hertha to basically respond or just to I don't know have a general uh, assessment to what the public what is actually going on and what transpired from their side. So um, since I'm not really sure what happened yet, can you fill me in a little bit of a, what Klinsmann did in his Q&A and how that went and then the uh, other press conference? Well, I
0: think to put into a little bit of context about the, the, the Facebook um, post and his quitting in that manner, um, Klinsmann, ever since he took over uh, as coach, or, or, you know, as project manager at Herta has been doing Facebook Live sessions pretty much every week, talking to fans, talking to whoever wants to come in and ask questions. So I feel like this Facebook connection thing seems to be something that Klinsmann views as his, like, direct line. Like to, Donald Trump and Twitter. <laughs> you know, exactly, exactly. Like, this is how he gets his message out. And so for him, it probably just felt like this was the appropriate way to continue doing that. And I also felt like, you, you know, you mentioned he signs off the email with, with the, you know, the, the, the Hertha greeting or salutation, ha, ho, hey, Jürgen, you know, your um, Jürgen. And also said something to the effect of he would be happy, he looks forward to taking his place uh, on, on the advisory board back. And for some reason, it just strikes me as though it, he didn't realize what a dumb and crazy thing this was to basically quit this job via Facebook and that he would be able to then, you know, resume his job in management at this club, which, you know, in the Facebook Live session that happened after the Facebook post, wow, we're really splitting hairs now, um, it still sounds like he wanted to do that. And and he, you know, mostly used that, you know, final uh, or, you know, (laughs) up to now final Facebook Live to explain that the principal difficulty that was happening was a a, a sort of difference of philosophy between him and Michel Preetz. Then, of course, you know, when Preetz and Gegenbauer and Windhorst all sat in front of the, of the, the, the reporters and sort of said their piece, they presented an absolutely united front saying that, you know, they all found what Klinsmann did to be wholly inappropriate and, you know, childish, and that he would not be returning to the advisory board, at least not at this time. And it just sounds like he completely misjudged the situation, (laughs) you know, that, that thought he had a lot more credit, not only with, with Las Ventors, but with the fans, with, you know, basically everybody and it turns out the only people who really still like him are, are the Bildzeitung, who uh you know they sell they sell papers using his name and still you know used a, a headline saying Zo viel Klinsy steckt in diesen Sieg which is to say you know this much Klinsy is it was part of of Hertha's win on the weekend which was a jarringly stupid and and like <laughs> you know ridiculous headline
1: yeah i mean it, to, to me it was just very weird and i i think uh almost exclusively all the blame has to be put on the feet of uh, juan klinsman just for his behavior um which um you know you would expect just so much better of 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 a, you know seemingly functioning adult um so yeah it it, it was just very bizarre i think that's the, the best word to do it um so where. I mean, you, you already sort of uh, described how, how you're not quite sure where it's going, but I'm still going to ask where where is this going now? Now you have Alexander Nuri on the sideline, who I assume was already sort of the Achim Löw type of role that likes the, the football brains behind the Klinsmann motivational facade, if you will. I, mean, I know that's a bit. Too oversimplistic, but uh, nevertheless, um, that's that's how I imagine it. It was already. Um, is Alexander Nuri the long-term coach for you, or do you think Herta need to find someone else? And uh, overall, what's going to be the strategy for a club that just had has a lot of more money now and uh, needs to grow its infrastructure accordingly as well?
0: Yeah, I mean, I for just to start right off the bat, I, I don't think that Alexander Nuri is a viable long-term solution. Not only because I I just feel like he's probably, his reputation is a little bit, um, you know, low to, to take on the most exciting football project in Europe. Right. Um, (laughs) I'm going to use it again. Just mark my words. Um, (laughs) but I, I really do feel like the ambition has to be a lot higher. Um, not only in terms of, of a coach with a bigger reputation, but someone who also can offer something more like, um, I don't know, attacking football or who has a a legitimate system. I mean, Alexander Nouri basically just stands for pretty meat and potatoes, um, you know, defensive compactness and a little bit um, of, you know, maybe countering skill, but even that has been in pretty short supply. So I think, you know, my strategy for the rest of the season is to, you know, Get out of relegation trouble, but don't do it so convincingly that you even think for a moment that it's an option. Just hold on to Alexander Nouri. Apparently, Niko Kovac, who turned them down uh, around the time when they brought Klinsmann in, has 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 turned them down again. Um, but only for the interim, come.
1: right? Or, or overall, because Niko Kovac obviously would be a very good option for the summer for sure. to have a clean start, if you will. Yep, yep, I
0: agree. And I think that... Um, that is still the direction that um, Michel prates uh, wants to go. I think he, um, you know, for reasons of, of, you know, both reputation, past success, connection to the city, connection to the club. Um, I think that that's kind of the solution that everybody's looking for. I'm personally not as convinced by the, um, I don't know, I'm not as convinced by the style of play argument because I'm not, huge uh, fan, or wasn't a huge fan of what he did with with um, Eintracht. I feel like Eintracht improved considerably under Adi Hütter, in terms of the way that they played. Um, and that's, you know, the, the personality has, or even even moving forward with Hertha spending a lot of money, is going to be closer to that than than to Bayern. I mean, Hertha is still looking for up-and-comers rather than finished products. Um, thank goodness Clincy wanted to buy <laughs> Isil and Poldy and you know, a lot of guys on the wrong side of thirty, apparently. But <laughs> leaving that behind, I think I think to need to 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 either get someone like Kovac, and if he's not into it, uh, John Blaylock. Listener question, by the way, somewhere in flyover country, you say you're from. I'm gonna imagine you're from Nebraska. I don't know exactly why he's turning down Herta. Uh, he probably is angling for a bigger job. You know, he's probably looking for a, a you know a Premier League job, perhaps.
1: Maybe he's actually looking for the most exciting project in Europe.
0: You know if he's looking for the most exciting football project in Europe he should look no further uh, <laughs> no I think I think uh we already mentioned Jesse Marsh would be a nice option I still am a' I'm, I'm a believer in Roger Schmidt I think that um you know guys who have come out of that sort of um, the Red Bull school if you will they seem to be sort of on the rise not only in in Germany but elsewhere I feel like that's an effective modern style of football and, you know, Robert Schmidt along with Marco Rosa, Adi Hütter, um, Jesse Marsh now. I mean, all fit into that that category, so I think that would be a nice way to play. But I think as far as where this most exciting footballing project in Europe is headed, uh, it's it's going to bring excitement, but it's not necessarily going to bring success.
1: Well, they didn't really bring much excitement in Paderborn um, to... Um, Come on, a backheel goal? What, what, what more do you yes, want? Yes, 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 yes. But I'm, I'm trying to explain how Hertha actually beat Paderborn. And it was uh, in the most sophisticated way you can actually do it, because Paderborn are a team that's uh, actually very positive um, in their overall approach under Stefan Baumgart, and uh, they want to play an attacking brand of football, um, but if you play there like Hertha did, with um, Asgazi Bar and Midfield and Meyer and Skelbred, and try to destroy everything before you even think about attacking football, you sort of stop Paderborn in their tracks and I think that was very smart to not go to Paderborn and and try to uh, woo them with better football um, but with uh, you know a solid defensive foundation and first destroy everything even if it probably wasn't pretty Um, so I think that was a very good tactical ploy by Alexander Nuri to be on the cautious side of things first and uh, then uh, yeah have some spectacular goals um, in, in between which you can now talk about sure sure well
0: yeah the first the first goal was just a, a pretty work day but um, I was quite excited about it the looping header from dedrick boyata but the the real beauty was uh, was the the following a double save um, off of I think two shots from Christoph Piontek. Um a rebound came the way of uh Mateusz Cunha who's playing his first game for Hertha started right away his uh his back happened to be to the goal when the rebound came his way but that 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 made no difference he was still able to get a shot off uh with a back heel which was then uh you know almost saved off the line but ended up going into the goal and hurrah. It
1: it was it was a beautiful goal um I would I would say um that the uh I think in the end it was attributed as an own goal to Collins. Is that right? It shouldn't have been. It was. It was going. It was going towards goal. Yeah, but you know sometimes it's weird. But uh, that all being said, um, the uh, goal by Dennis Bernie uh, Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, was yep. also pretty cool and against the Ashton, completely catching him in a run foot by uh, you know, almost scoring from an impossible angle, and uh, sort of. I, I think that that might have been more of an on-goal. I don't know if it was going in or not, but it sort of deflected off Jahrstein into the goal. So, yeah, there's that. And uh, I think with uh, the Hertha segment behind us, I will hand the reins of hosting back to you.
0: All right. Well,
1: th- I'm actually going to hand something right back to you because it gives us a nice segue.
0: It's a listener question from uh, Michael Forster in Pennsylvania, like you, uh, who asks, who's going to finish higher in the Bundesliga, Hertha or Union?
1: Uh, I think it's going to be Union. Why? Because they're the better team as everything that I've seen so <laughs> far. <laughs> I'm Fair sorry, enough. I, don't, yes, I, don't, I don't have a profound answer to that, but, uh, looking, looking at form, I mean, they're level on points right now. So, yeah. um, obviously, Herta have a higher ceiling now with the new transfers and may very well finish ahead of Union Berlin. But, um, I will, I will say this, um, Union Berlin r- right now, um, are a more cohesive team than hertha and uh, find better ways to to score and i mean they were very unlucky to not get away with at least a point against leverkusen um, so i think i think that was actually the, the best game of the match day we haven't even talked about it yet yeah um but uh, yes that was that was a lot of fun again with the leverkusen's involvement and then uh, um a very similar goal to concede at the very end. I think it was Bella Rabi scoring from a similar angle as the Paderborn's player scored. Um, that, that winner. But, uh, yeah. So, Union Berlin have a lot of things going for them. Um, they're obviously not the best team in the league and Hertha could realistically finish above them. But, uh, I just think the run that Union Berlin are on, um, is, is quite good and solid. And, uh, I think are there, there will be more points ahead for them as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm actually really pleased, um, I- even though I completely, wholly, totally disagree with you right. on, on, on the way that you answered that question, uh, that this is going to put even more weight on top of the uh, the next uh, iteration of the Berliner Stadt derby. I'm looking forward uh, I think to that, it. Uh, Oh yeah, yeah it's I mean, considering what uh what a what an eventful time we all had for the last one <laughs> um <laughs> eventful uh, yes um I, I think that that um perhaps you know after seeing that uh you know sort of fraught one nil win for uh Union in in the first version, i I much would prefer to see you know a nice a nice four three uh in in herta's favor in in the next one just something that will take people's eyes off of uh crowd trouble and maybe back onto the pitch. Bayer Leverkusen they you know got that last minute win over Union which I would probably agree was was the most sort of um even-handed back and forth kind of game that we had on on the weekend yeah, maybe maybe Wolfsburg at Hoffenheim but you know, who can get excited about that? Right. This is the second time in in as many weeks that uh, Leverkusen, a team that people often question, let's just say the uh, the mental toughness of, have ground out you know a goal in one of the last few minutes of a game, and they are getting themselves back into the Champions League conversation. They are you know heading into a a, a last thirty two. Europa League tie on Thursday against uh, Porto. The trajectory of this team is, is is headed back up, right?
1: I know. They're only two points away from Dortmund and Gladbach right now. Um, it's certainly heading up, but the problem is, um, I would say so are Dortmund and Gladbach. Um, I think Gladbach have refound their form after a couple of wobbles here and there in, in the last uh, five or six games where they uh, had a loss in two draws among three wins. So, um I, I think it's going to be very tough, um, for Leverkusen to break into the, the top four, but I would also predict that it's going to be exciting until the last match day. So, um, I'm very glad because, um, the title race is already quite, um, interesting in Germany right now. So it's even better if Bayer Leverkusen, uh, adds another flavor to that conversation in general. Um, I don't know if they are, uh, Title contenders, they're six points off, like they're not completely out of the discussion yet. But, um, that all being said, um, I also think they have too many defensive woes to really be in that conversation similar to Dortmund. Um, so yeah, it's, it's an exciting team, but the problem is, um, if you concede two goals against Union Berlin, um, in, in the way they did concede them, um, you don't always score three goals to uh, pull yourself out of this misery I'm afraid so um, Leverkusen's problems are a bit similar to Dortmund so yes they are on a good run they have a lot of composure um, and obviously Kai Havertz is finding a very good stretch of form right now I'm um, scoring off that last bender header um, but yeah I I don't I don't know the, the the problem with Leverkusen is every time I praise them they take a nosedive so I I just <laughs> shut up now I know I know I I, I was thinking they were really
0: charging towards something uh, at the end of, of the Hinrunde uh, last, last uh, November or so. And then, man, do they ever just conk out uh, for the last three games. Um, let's turn our attention. You mentioned uh, Gladbach. You think that they are also sort of getting back on track. Certainly a 4-1 result in Dusseldorf uh, would suggest that. I mean, Dusseldorf, they're bad, but um, they don't always get beat 4-1 at home. Did you make much of of this game? I mean, you had some some, some pretty great goals in this as well.
1: Yeah, that's the uh, the big strength of Gladbach. Um, they really should have beaten Leipzig in that one game um, before the red card. And uh, the the problem is, um, it's really uh, hard to defend against Gladbach when they play uh, with such composure in in the final third that their attacks and their final pass is just uh, such a killer pass. Um, the, the the pass before the pass basically um, always unlocks the defense. And then they have the gall and audacity to just lay it off again for uh, an even easier tap-in. So, um, yeah, a lot of things going right in in Gladbach. And I still think the decision to uh, sack Dieter Hecking and uh, hire Marco Rose paid off big time for them. And, uh, yeah, another um, game that was won by a tactical adjustment in midfield by Gladbach to just attack a little bit further and uh, play a bit more centrally and obviously we have to talk soon about Neuhaus and his qualities in midfield so overall a very exciting team um, that is fairly balanced in in attack and defense So um, and obviously Thüram is a very great player so I feel like something is growing in Gladbach right now and their upward trajectory is certainly measurable and capable and good for the Bundesliga to have more teams that can play on such a level with uh, consistency because you see them having beautiful thought out plays and combinations up front and finishing them uh, on a consistent basis and uh, that tells you that the spacing the positioning and the runs the automatism in this team are working and uh, are here to stay yep I noticed in the first half of this podcast when we were talking
0: about all these uh, Champions League teams, uh, we were talking about title chances for these teams. Um, We've been talking about teams playing in the Europa League. We've been talking about all kinds of things that Gladbach we haven't quite touched on. Um, They are the only one among the you know top five teams in the Bundesliga. And at this point, I really do think the top five is the most meaningful designation. Schalke, for me, are, are sort of off the pace of the rest. They're the only one who, who are not in Europe anymore. Is there a chance that this team can sneak?
1: I mean, they have a game in hand against yeah. Cologne. So, yes, um, definitely. Um, as I said before, I would not... To- bet on Bayern Munich you know I don't think it's going to be an easy walk in the park for them um and I do think that Gladbach will have the um uh composure um obviously um there are still a couple of question marks in behind them but I also wouldn't rule it out that they actually make the lunch for the title that maybe everyone else around them sort of drops off and, and they uh yeah, have the necessary luck because let's be real. Football is a very low scoring game and little details can uh, make big differences. And sometimes it just all boils down to luck. So, um, there is no reason why Gladbach uh, might be the uh, fortunate ones for once. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't call, c- count them out, especially if they beat Cologne. Um, in theory, then they would uh, have, uh, 55 points and would, uh, uh, 45 points and would be equal to Leipzig and one point of Bayern. So, um, I know it's a derby and beating Cologne isn't all, all that easy, but, um, I, I think Gladbach can do that. And, uh, I, I'm hoping for them to, to do it because I, I want a very exciting title race until the, the final stretch of the season, to be honest. Yes, indeed. Uh, By the way, that that match,
0: which was called off last week, has been rescheduled. It's going to be played on Wednesday, March 11th. So, uh, you know, mark all your calendars, especially if you're a Gladbach or a Cologne fan. Uh, If you are a Cologne fan, you probably had a pretty bad weekend. Yeah, let's not talk about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly, it, it was a four-one win uh, from Bayern. Uh, we we mentioned it earlier. Cologne had plenty of chances uh, going down the stretch, but you know, going 3 0 down the first twelve minutes is a really bad thing to do if you're a team like Cologne. The game was practically over. Oh yeah, yeah. It was a it, there was a half-speed situation going on for at least the, the latter latter half of the first
1: half. Oh, I will say before we move on, maybe to another game is uh, we need to praise Thiago. Oh my God, uh, a masterclass <laughs> performance. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's that's all I'm going to say. He is a virtuoso and he's one of the best, if not the best players in the Bundesliga. And when he has his day, he really does have his day. And there's just no crowd grown against him. As we say in Germany, kein crowd gewachsen <laughs> to, to do anything against this guy. So, um, yeah, it's just a chef's kiss mwah, of a performance by Thiago. And uh, I'm just very happy that uh, people get to see it. Yeah, I, 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 it was my turn last week to uh, heap pretty, pretty similar
0: play, praise, actually, on on Tiango. So I'll, I'll lay off this week. We mentioned uh, in passing uh, Wolfsburg's three two win over Hoffenheim. Um, this one, really, the story. Of this one was was VAR penalties uh, three. In all, you know, two for Wolfsburg and one for Hoffenheim. I think it was two handballs and a foul. Uh, that was what kind of decided this game. Or you know, even if you left those out, you could just say Wout Vekors did. He uh, he scored three goals in this game. Uh, Wolfsburg, they are also in in European action. They are hosting Malmo in the first leg of their uh, Europa League tie on Thursday. Wolfsburg seem to have snapped out of whatever was was bothering them so much uh in the the back half of the Hinrunde and even even out of the gate here in the Rookrunda.
1: Yeah. I I think they're a team that's uh, consistently inconsistent and we'll see them snap snap back into it <laughs> at some point and then snap out of it again. I think that's how oh, their season will go and I think they will finish it around these places 9, 8, or so. Fair enough. Before we leave, we should probably mention the last two games of
0: the week which uh, both ended in draws. Um, Augsburg uh, had a 1-1 draw with, with Freiburg and uh, Mainz and Schalke played to a goalless draw. <laughs> uh, I can't say that I, I paid a lot of attention to either of these games but I understand for some reason you did.
1: Yeah, uh, I I watched uh, the first half against Schalke at home, and then uh, my wife and I went on a little trip to a, a family fun center where you could go go karting and have, play laser tag and all kinds of fun. Uh, but getting there was an hour long drive, so I used that time to stream the game on the phone and while driving, of course. Yeah, well, she was driving, so uh, <laughs> I, I could just uh, watch it. Nice. And I would say this: it was dreadful in all the ways a game can be dreadful there was not a lot of action um uh, not a i don't know just just very poor football in general and um it's quite if if you've seen schalke in in recent weeks um it's really really worrying how their form is going i think they have one win out of the last six games four draws one loss so um yeah i feel like they are footballing mojo The hype around Amin Harit and all that has has gone a little bit wayward. Um, I actually think it has a lot to do with their pressing because that was uh, what made the difference for them in so so many weeks this season. That they just uh, overwhelm opponents with pressure and with a physical ability and athleticism. And right now that's just lacking. They're too passive. And, uh, if you don't win the ball in, in spaces where you catch your opponent, uh, without, without an organized defense, uh, you tend to have a tougher time to break them down. Obviously, everyone knows that. So, um, that's pretty much where I would, uh, pin Sharky's problems right now, that they just can't replicate, um, whatever they did before. I, I think it just comes down to counter pressing. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really tr- tough struggle for them because, um, Finding back into a good counter-pressing rhythm sometimes isn't as easy as it sounds, uh, especially if you have tired legs and a couple of injuries here and there. Um, then even if you don't have any European action, that can be uh, yeah, not easy for a coach. Um, we, we'll see where their journey is going, but I think their Champions League discussions are dead for now. I don't see them making it back.
0: Yep, I think their journey is, at best, headed to, to the Europa League. So, that is all for this edition of Talking Foosball, which was produced, as always, by Aidan Rantoul. Really good to have you back on the podcast, Stefan. Thank you for having me. Nice, nice. You, you, you'll be coming back, as if, if, if it's up to me, anyway. Um, it is up can, to you. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's up to you, too. You have to say yes, you know? Sometimes I catch you at the wrong time, and yes. I don't know. All right, fair enough. You can always follow Stefan uh, on Twitter, if, if you can spell his name, that is, uh, Stefan Butchko. I think you can find him. D U C Z K O. Yes, I love it. It's, you know, it's, it's those, it's those uh, consonant clusters in what I assume, this is a Polish name, yeah? Yes. Yeah, the, the consonant clusters, I, I you know, even, even Google Docs was telling me, you know, do you really want to spell peace check that way? <laughs> and it, it knew how to spell it right so it probably knows how
1: to spell your name right yeah too. If, 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 I'm, if I'm on a phone on a hotline and I need to spell it I'm like always oh, Bravo Uniform Charlo Zulu Kilo Oxford or <laughs> something like that because otherwise people get confused
0: nice nice uh, oh man we all have these routines don't we 1R2N's that's me uh, if you want to contact me I'm Mr. Matt Herman with 1R and 2N's uh, on Twitter please do subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts leave us a rating it is a very big help tell your friends if you think that they would be interested in a little Bundesliga football in their ears. Uh, Talking foosball fantasy with JT and Flo. They'll be back in action later in the week to get you ready for match day 23. Bis zum nächsten Mal, y'all.